Hello, welcome, and would you look at this mess. I'm your host, Kate, and the purpose of this podcast is to trace, explore, and celebrate the unconventionality that lives within all of us. Hey, welcome back. I am really excited to share this episode with you today. I have my first guest on the podcast. So a couple of things that I want to go over before we get started. Um, First of all, this was a pre-recorded interview that I did over Zoom, and I am still figuring out the best way to record these interviews. So you have my apologies that the audio is not fabulous on this one, but I think it passes. (laughs) Um, You'll also notice that we kind of jump in and out of the interview because I've definitely taken a little bit off the top and the back end um, because I was trying to keep the length a little bit shorter and eliminate anything that's really not relevant to the topic. Other than that, the interview has been left intact, so everything we talked about is here for you. And I will also let you know that this interview is part one of two. We recorded a second interview after this one, and so that interview will be released on the podcast next week. And of course, there's always the possibility that we will revisit this topic at some point in the future. So maybe keep your ears open for that. And just give you a little bit of background about my guest. Um, Her name is Taryn, and she and I have been friends for our entire lives. Our mothers have been friends since before we were born, so we have a long personal history. Taryn is polyamorous, and she has been living a polyamorous lifestyle with her family for a number of years now. So in these episodes, we are exploring her journey through polyamory, and the self-work that she is doing to show up best for her partners. So we talk a lot about relationships and relating to other people, and that's the basis for these episodes. So without further ado, here is our first interview. So we will start by you identifying yourself and telling us a little bit about yourself, your age and your name and and, uh, what you do and your hobbies and stuff. Perfect. Um, So my name is Taryn and I'm turning 34 this December. For work, I'm a gymnastics coach um, and gymnastics has been a big part of my life growing up and then I was fortunate enough to be able to turn it into a career. Um, I'm currently on maternity leave though, which has been lonely a little bit, but also I think that we're in like the best Um, situation to be in a pandemic while I'm on maternity leave because the gym is just such a social hands-on environment that it's probably for the best that I don't have to be there Mm -hmm. Um, and then we also get to have a an unquestionable reason to not have baby or visit visitors with a new baby so that's been really nice for me as well just in terms of energy and healing after um birthing yeah I can relate um, to that. <laughs> yeah I also enjoy um, a lot of artistic pursuits which I'm 
kind of rediscovering in myself, like reading and writing. I like coloring and painting now and then, um, meditation, things like that. Mm -hmm. And personal growth has become a really big, like important use of my personal time. So I, I spend a lot of time reflecting on my behaviors and trying to understand my own emotional reactions, which has actually been something that helps me in my relationships and as a parent and with friendships. And it's been really, really central to who I am as a person in the last five years. So I think we'll be talking about that again later. Yeah. Um, I think that's everything okay. that you asked. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, I guess so. um, why don't I just like quickly explain like my relationship structure, I guess would be the term. So I have three partners. Um, none of them are dating each other, which makes it different from what I think a lot of mainstream polyamory is presented as. Usually you see a triad or sometimes a quad where it's a, a group of people that are all in one shared relationship. Um, and that's not always the case in polyamory. For us, I have a partner, Corey, and a partner, AJ, who I cohabitate with both of them, but they're not dating. And we have two kids together, the three of us. And then I recently started dating a woman. Um, her name's Deanna. And again, like she doesn't live with us, but it's a separate relationship from my other two relationships. Mm -hmm. And everybody gets along and knows each other. It's just the romantic or sexual aspect isn't there for them, which is mm -hmm. totally valid. Yes. Yeah. That's a, t a totally valid and normal way of yeah. going about it for sure. Yeah. And so, okay. So you, you are polyamorous, um, you live a polyamorous life. And so one of the questions that I wanted to bring up just to start off would be identifying what polyamory is and uh, where it fits within the sort of ethical non-monogamous spectrum. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like you said, ethical non-monogamy is a spectrum and that term is kind of like an umbrella term that encompasses a lot of different things. And polyamory specifically, if you break it down, like the etymology of it, polyamory is poly is from ancient Greek, which means many. And amory is from Latin meaning loves. So put together just means many loves, which is indicative of what the focus of that kind of connection is. Um, so a polyamorous connection between people is where it's, you work really hard on, well, not really work really hard. You focus on developing the emotional and romantic connections. And then sex is often part of it, but not required, mm -hmm. which I really mm -hmm. like because then it leaves room for asexual people to have relationships. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, it's poly. So it's many. So you have multiple connections that um, are characterized as romantic and possibly sexual. Right. Whereas something like swinging is often purely sexual connections. Um, there's other types of structures within ethical non-monogamy. So swinging, there's don't ask, don't tell, which is a policy where there's a primary couple and they, they explore outside of their relationship, usually separately, and they, they basically don't share information about those other relationships with their primary partner. Right. So like take a husband and wife, she might be dating a few different people, but he wants to, doesn't want to know anything about it. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. almost like cheating with permission. Yeah. Because yeah. like a monogamous cheating type of scenario 
one partner is exploring and the other partner doesn't really know the details, doesn't even know what's happening. In Mm -hmm. Don't Ask, Don't Tell, they at least know it's happening, but they don't want to know the specifics of who, when, where, how, or anything like that. Right. Um, There's another policy that some non-monogamous people embrace called one penis policy. And typically this is like a cis-hetero couple. And so like a man and a woman. And then um, the woman is allowed to date other women, but not date other men. And then the man can choose to date whoever. Again, typically it's women. It's a very, I don't know how to explain it. It, And like, if it works for them and everybody is on board with it, including their, their other partners, then I don't see anything ethically wrong with it. But for me personally, it feels oppressive as a woman, Mm. like, oh, I can date women you're only permitting me to do that and it's yeah, just yeah. it's restrictive it kind, of, it kind of feels like it has that energy of like a man still owns you but but a lot of times bisexuality between women is not viewed the same way as like cheating quote-unquote of, yeah. of, a, of, a, of a hetero uh, sort of cheating scenario right and so it yeah. kind of goes back to like go, falls back on that idea of it's not cheating if it's another girl because it's kind of got that sexy <laughs> vibe. Yeah, <laughs> and it it kind of sets a precedent that women who date women and that relationship isn't yeah isn't as like legitimate. Like, yeah, exactly. And so mm-hmm. the guy's like okay with it. But that said, I understand that that's where a lot of people, a lot of couples start their non-monogamy journey, mm-hmm. and I understand that if it's comfortable for everybody including the the woman that's a new partner um if everybody's on board with it I see nothing wrong with it just from my personal Mm -hmm. opinion I would feel too restricted in being told that I can't date another man if I chose so it does it's ethical non-monogamy is nice because there is this wide variety of ways to form new relationships and it's all ethical so it's the important thing is that you're honest upfront and transparent about what's going on with your other partners um, as well as what's going on in each individual relationship. Like I, I know I'm a hundred percent comfortable talking to any one of my partners about something that is relevant to them. That's happening in another relationship. Like let's pretend that just using COVID as an example, cause it's a pretty easy and topical one. If one of AJ's other partners came into contact with someone that had um, had COVID and they had to self-isolate for two weeks or get a test or whatever, he would then come to me and tell me that without me having to ask. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between transparency and, and just being honest. I think transparency is a little bit more important in terms of ethical non-monogamy because I might not ask that question. Why would I ever think to ask, oh, are all of your partners like safe? Have they been wearing masks? Have they been exposed? And why would I ask that on a continual basis? The transparency aspect means it's on him to let the rest of his partners know that they're, they might be at risk too. And then we can all make our own decisions about how to keep ourselves safe. Right. So transparency is really important. Yeah. Transparency, like you said, it kind of goes a step beyond just being honest and it goes, yeah, it goes into more being upfront and coming out with information versus having someone have to take it out of you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So getting back to some of the other structures of ethical non-monogamy, there's a term called monogamish, 
which my understanding is that it's a primary couple. And then often I see, I've heard of it with like military couples. So like wife is at home while husband is um, deployed overseas. And because of the amount of time and distance between them, sometimes those couples will allow each other to find support in other ways and with other connections while they're apart from each other. Um, and that's kind of classified as monogamish. Okay. Um, and then polyamory and then just open relationships. Um, the reason that polyamory is my preferred relationship structure is because it allows and it actually not just allows, but the, the implication maybe, or the expectation, that's not really the right word either. Um, but that love is a, an aspect of it. It's, it's assumed that you are going to fall in love at some point. It might not be with every partner. That's okay. But a lot of other ethical non-monogamous structures, when you fall in love, that's when things get stressful. And that's often a boundary that the primary couple does not wish to have come into their lives. They want to only love each other, but have sexual connections with other people. They don't wish to fall in love with their other connections. Whereas in polyamory, that's kind of just assumed that it will happen at some point and everybody's okay with that. Right. So that's mm -hmm. why polyamory is important to me because I, I, I have the most fulfilling relationships sexually and romantically when I am in love. Right when I'm not so, yes. yeah. yeah yeah and so it kind of feels like in some ways um it's a progression and because you know we come from a culture where like we are very strictly monogamous and um so the idea of of being sexually active with other people in itself is a step outside of that and so people are maybe progressing towards more being comfortable and being in love with other people because we're often given this this message that you can only be in love with one person and I think the last time we spoke we, we talked about serial monogamy where like you you can only be in love with one person at one time so you might have multiple loves throughout your life but they're not going to go coincide with each other versus yeah embracing that that type of that love loving structure right yeah for sure um that made me think of something and I forget it now oh, um, sorry. no that's okay I can't remember. Um, okay. Um, why don't I quickly outline what relationship anarchy is then? Yeah. yeah. Um, so relationship anarchy is another kind of umbrella term. Um, and I think it's hard with these definitions because sometimes it's a definition for something like this is dependent on who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. um, my overall set of relationship anarchy between internet researches and talking with people that I know that are relationship anarchists. It's any type of relationship that rejects the assumption of monogamy and the they call it the relationship escalator. So like the monogamous and heteronormative monogamous escalator of a relationship, progression of a relationship is you go on a date or, okay, let's say you match on a dating app, you talk mm -hmm. for a bit, you go on a date, um, you go on a few more dates if it's going well, and then at some point you have sex, and then at some point you fall in love, and then at some point you get married, and then you have kids, and then you grow old together, and that's like the per natural progression, that's the message that we're all 
we all absorb and internalize growing up from Mm -hmm. mainstream culture and relationship anarchy is any kind of relationship that that rejects that assumption so that can be that can still be a monogamous relationship but there are lots of monogamous relationships out there who maybe don't have kids or they just never live together or they or they do and that's what they choose they choose to live together and have kids it, they talk about it they don't assume that that's what's happening right um, and then relationship anarchy also includes all the variety of non-monogamy and all the variety of living alone but having different dating relationships or non-dating relationships if you're asexual you can still have romantic connections or you can have aromantic connections it's just a really open inclusive term for everybody mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the only thing that i i found that is consistent across all definitions of relationship anarchy is just rejecting that that heteronormative um, narrative that we all were trained to assume was the only way. Right. And it, it's really just about rejecting that assumption, not rejecting that structure, yeah. right? Just choosing monogamy in a in a communicative way. It's intentional. If that's what you and your partner want. Yeah, it's intentional. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah so that that's that's relationship and anarchy, which I really like. Yeah, because there is this this tie a lot of times, like you said, with the narrative of of um heteronormative um, structures and stuff that it's it's naturalized in our minds that this is the natural progression and so it's sort of like it's a rejection of it's not natural necessarily um, it might feel natural to you and so that's your intentional way of approaching it versus just mindlessly going about it because that's what you're told exactly yeah, yeah. and I re- I was shocked as I grew up and like because um, my one partner, AJ, and I, we met in high school. We met very young, and we've been together ever since and happier than ever. And we've been fortunate enough to be able to grow in the same direction for so long. Yeah. Um, but we were, you know, 16 and 17 and talking about what our our life together would look like. We were already discussing, like, hey, do you want kids? Do you not want kids? Is it kind of just, like, on the fence for now? Is that a discussion we have later? And we were already talking about whether or not that was what we wanted. It wasn't assumed at that age that just because we were deeply in love and we wanted to be together long-term that we would have to live together and have kids. Those were always questions that we discussed together and they changed over the years. Like at first, neither of us wanted kids. And then at one point he did, but I didn't. And then at one point I did, but he didn't. And it just, it was never assumed. So there was never like heartache over us having a different opinion on it. Does that make sense? I think a lot of couples, when they realize that one definitely wants kids like right now and the other's like, "Mm, not right now, then it's like, oh, well, we want different things. We have to break up. Yeah, relationship relationship, Yeah, and relationship anarchy and then adding in non-monogamy to that or polyamory allows you to maintain that connection with that person, even if you want different things, because you're free to explore those things that you want with another partner, if it fits right. with them, right? So it's really nice to not not feel pressure to be one person's everything. It's yeah. nice to yeah. feel like I could have kids with other people if I wanted to, or not have kids, or live with someone if I want to, but not live with another person, or if you have like certain interests that you are very passionate about and one partner shares it, that takes the pressure off of that 
off of doing those things with your other partners that maybe don't like it. AJ and I love horror movies and scary movies. <laughs> My other partners, not all of them do. So we, we watch other things that maybe AJ and I don't watch. Like it yeah. works out really yeah. nice that way. Yes. Um, I was thinking about, about that. You were saying, you know, not, not being a, your, your person's everything. Um, because yeah, we do put so much pressure on a single person to meet all of our needs. And then when they don't, then, you know, you, you, they're, they're inadequate or there's, you know, there's something wrong with that relationship. And so, like you said, like, it may not actually be that the relationship or the person themselves are flawed, um, but that maybe it's, it's helpful to just look elsewhere to have those needs met. Mm-hmm. And last time on this same topic, like we mm-hmm. talked about how a monogamous relationship can still allow both members to explore the other interests outside of their relationship. It doesn't have to involve a sexual or a romantic relationship with someone to, to explore other interests. Monogamy, I think, is healthiest and works best long-term when both partners are encouraged to develop their new interests or seek other hobbies or um, explore those things and share those things with other friends. Right. And then right. the boundary is just, these are platonic connections, not romantic ones or not sexual ones. Yeah. And yeah. it's, I think monogamy gets into trouble when you try to make everything that you want to do in your life do with their partner. Yeah. People are meant to have other connections. It's just a matter of agreeing on what those other connections are and supporting each other in exploring those other connections. And then I think that's the healthiest way to go about monogamy. And I think that that's, that's something that's missed somewhere in that heteronormative narrative that we're all like internalizing as we grow up. Um, that aspect is missed that you need to support each other outside of the relationship, have a life outside of the relationship. Yeah, I agree completely. And, and I mean, that's been my experience, fortunately, that, you know, um, we do, we are able to support each other doing things with other people. And, 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 you know, like you said, if I have an interest in something that he's not interested in, he's happy to let me or to, to support me in exploring that interest with another person, or even if it's by myself, doesn't have to be a partnership on every single aspect of your life. Yeah, we should totally talk about the importance of the relationship with yourself and spending time alone because that's mm-hmm. something that monogamy does not encourage often. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. so important. One of like the biggest the biggest things I've learned um, having been through this polyamorous journey is that is is how important it is to make time for myself. Because when I have two kids and I have three partners (laughs) and it's so easy to just give all of my energy into all of those connections. Plus if, when I'm working like on top of that and you start to, you start to realize that each, each relationship brings out a different side of you which can be really confusing at first because it feels like you're a different person with each with each partner. And then that can sometimes lead you to question like, well, who even am I? Like, I don't even know because I'm like this with, with one partner and I'm like a different person when I'm with another partner. And accepting that is, a, is like a learning curve. But I think helping for me, maintaining um, like self date nights, like I schedule myself 
Yeah. Like at least yeah. two to three nights a week where once the kids are in bed, I am not anybody's anything. Mm-hmm. I am, it's time for me. That's when I color. That's when I do, I watch shows that only I want to watch or I indulge in wine or whatever I feel like doing. And I, ha- I take that time to build that relationship with myself so that you keep a hold of your own personal identity and not lose yourself completely into your relationships. Yeah. And in monogamy, I found, and this was my own personal experience as a monogamous person. I was monogamous with AJ right up until 2011, maybe 12 is when we kind of started. Um, so we were monogamous for almost a decade. And I found that I was, I, my identity was so entrenched in my relationship that I didn't know who I was already. And I didn't make time for myself. And I was hurt when he didn't want to come out and socialize with our friends with me, or if he wanted to go do something, I was like a little bit disappointed. And all of that is gone now because I've learned to just focus on my relationship with myself first. Yeah. And then like, it's okay. Like, Oh, you want to go out tonight? Great. I can have a self date. Like Mm -hmm. totally different than feeling like I was losing something just because a partner wanted to go do something else. Yeah, for sure. It's and been actually, really healthy. That's awesome. And I recorded actually an episode I, I posted uh, previously about this very this very ish, a thing about taking time to just be by yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Just be alone. I I <laughs> said that that I I call it master dating. Oh, um, cute. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, that's what it is. You're just taking yourself on a date, or you know, like prioritizing you. And prioritizing yourself and and doing something that you actually enjoy. So you're not just sitting on your couch, like looking at your phone or something, like actually spending time with yourself. And yeah, yeah, so I agree that that is such an essential, important part of of being in any kind of a relationship. It doesn't matter what kind you're in, but being able to know who you are, uh, who you are outside of your relationship or relationships is, is essential for sure. Absolutely. And that was, like I said, that's, that's been a big part of my polyamory journey because Mm -hmm. I was feeling at one point, I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't myself in any of my relationships. And I felt exhausted all the time. And I felt like I was failing all the time. I thought I had these feelings of like, I'm not a good enough coach. I'm not a good enough partner. I'm not a good enough parent. I'm not keeping the house as clean as I should. And it was really hard. And actually one of AJ's partners that I was close with, she lived with us for a while. um, She recommended that I start making time for myself and just being really firm about it and not, not giving up that time. And fortunately, like all my partners have been super supportive of that and as they should be right. Like everybody should, everybody should be able to spend time alone and you should feel supported in that decision. Um, if you don't, then there's some work to do with that person. Yep. <laughs> I agree. Yes, it's true. And that's something that we could all stand to be um, learning even as we're, we're growing up. It's been part of that messaging that we get of like being able to spend time alone um, and exactly. being able to support a partner or partners in their need to spend time alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I've come to like, I I saw this post and it said something along the lines of learning to view someone spending time alone. You need like learning to view that as a communal contribution is really important 
because it might feel like your partner that wants to spend time alone is not wanting to be with you. And sometimes that can feel like rejection or just like not being included in that part of their life. But understanding that them taking that time alone is actually benefiting you because it's letting them recharge. It's letting them be a, be themselves. It's letting them, yeah, like just letting them recharge, I think is the most important thing. Like have that downtime to just feel more accomplished and more secure in who they are. And therefore they're a happier person to be around, which is good for everybody that's in, in the home or in the relationship or in the community. So taking those self date time times are communal contributions and knowing that helps you feel better about doing it yourself and also allowing your partners to do it. Yeah, agreed. Um, and that reminds that made me think too, when you were talking about that, even, even in motherhood, having that opportunity to be away from your children. <laughs> and there's so much guilt that we feel alongside this because yeah, we're never permitted. We're never, we're never given this opportunity or like, we're not supposed to want that. We're not supposed to want time to ourselves. We're supposed to be these martyrs for our families. And it's just, it, that is what's, what's going to get you down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And see, this is what I mean about mm-hmm. my polyamorous journey has prepared me for so much about personal growth that if my personal growth makes me a better partner, it makes me a better parent because I don't feel guilty about asking the guys to take the kids away for like, go out and do something for an hour so I can go have a nice relaxing bath and meditate because I need that. And if I don't get it, I'm not going to be my best parent for my kids or my best partner for my partners. And they understand that because they've seen it when it gets to be a point where I haven't had that time for a while. Yeah, mom's still like, out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it is super important. And personal growth has been such a big part of my polyamory journey that I don't think I'd be the same person today without polyamory. Yeah, for sure. That's that's awesome, though. I mean, it's such a wonderful thing, a wonderful side effect of this kind of life life structure, right? A relationship structure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because, yeah, a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people miss the opportunity to do that kind of work and to understand themselves better because they they go along this this linear monogamous path that we are are instructed to go along without question, without uh, self criticism or analysis or any of that stuff. And then, you know, that's when a lot of the, the like blaming the relationship and the partner and stuff comes in when there are problems because we're not able to see our own flaws and how they can get that. Yeah. And building off of that, there's, there's this idea in assumed monogamy that like, if you only have one person that you're meant to be with, it's, they're your soulmate and they're your everything then they must be perfect for you. Mm-hmm. And therefore your own flaws, they need to accommodate and you need to accommodate their flaws that you somehow have to be just perfect the way you are and be able to fit together seamlessly. Yeah. And that's not, yeah. that's not logical. That's not reality. <laughs> that's not hum- human growth. Mm-hmm. You should be able to grow individually. You should both be doing the emotional work on yourselves and reparenting anything that you've had, any trauma you've had from the past and, and coming together to build a happy relationship instead of expecting them to make you happy. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And like you were saying before about yourself and AJ growing in the same direction 
Um, and so I, I love that idea too of, of, yes, you're growing in the same direction. You're not necessarily growing as a single unit. You're growing as these, these autonomous individuals, but you are moving in the same direction, which is kind of the ideal situation, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, that kind of leads us to one of your other questions that you had mentioned before was about ethics and what I thought, what I thought the kind of ethical aspect of non-monogamy is. So we talked briefly about honesty and not just about answering questions, but about being transparent and bringing up relevant information to your partners. But autonomy is another big one personally for me. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that's necessarily true for everybody, but autonomy. So what that means for me and in my relationships is maintaining the right to make decisions about myself and about what I do in my relationships without my other partners dictating what I do in my life or in my relationships. It can be really easy, especially when couples in particular are starting out in a non-monogamous journey, that they only will do things with a new partner that their existing partner is comfortable with. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes that giving power to that existing partner they can get a little crazy with it. And I definitely made these mistakes early on in polyamory, um, as did AJ. I started dating before he did. And it's uncomfortable sharing your partner with somebody the first time. It's super challenging. And so I let him, I let AJ make all kinds of rules about even like the pacing of the my relationship with someone else. Like at what point we were allowed to start having oral sex and at what point we were allowed to start having like intercourse sex and things like that, which now neither of us would ever dream of doing to a partner. Yeah. We'd never ask any of our partners to, to slow the pace of their other relationship for our comfort. And that's a big challenge. So AJ in that sense at that time was restricting my autonomy and I was allowing it. So mm-hmm. autonomy is like a two-sided coin. There's, there's the point of maintaining your own autonomy and standing up for that, um, that ability and that, that, I don't know that, I don't know the word I'm trying to think of, but maintaining your autonomy and like sticking to it, but also allowing your partner to have that autonomy and not trying, trying not to infringe on it. Mm -hmm. If something that your partner is doing, by all means, let them know, but it's important not to tell them what to do. Yeah, because yeah, if yeah. you're not comfortable with something that your partner is doing in another relationship, that's about your feelings. You need to figure out why and what you can do about it to help yourself feel okay. So in the example of like an STI, um, if AJ was dating somebody or Corey was dating somebody, any of them, I can always go back to AJ about, like <laughs> I refer to him as in my examples, um, let's change it up. Let's say Corey was dating somebody who had another partner and contracted some kind of STI. And let's say Corey came to me and said, hey, my other partner has herpes or something and I've had unprotected sex with them. So I'm at risk for exposure. In healthy polyamory and healthy non-monogamy, your Corey would would tell me before the next time he and I had unprotected sex. Because Mm -hmm. if he knows he's carrying something, he should tell me before he and I have sex. That would be the ethical thing to do. Because at that point, I can make decisions for myself. 
like, I'm not comfortable with what happened. I don't like that you had sex and expose yourself to an STI. I can't do anything about it because it's in the past. But for myself, for my own protection, we are going to use condoms now. And I'd like you to get tested in three months or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So you can still uphold their autonomy and not, not criticize them for making that decision with their partner because that's none of your business, what they do in their relationship. However, it's on Corey's um, onus, his responsibility to come to me and say, this is what happened. And then it's on me to say, okay, I'm not comfortable with that. Here's what I'm going to do about it to keep myself safe. So autonomy works both ways like that. It's about maintaining your own right to choose how you live and how you, what you do with your body and what you do in your relationships. But also it's on you to expect, um, to allow your partner to do the same, I guess. Yeah. And then there's a whole emotional side of it. Like autonomy on the emotional aspect is, I need to be responsible for my emotional reactions and delve into why I feel a certain way about something and figure that out for myself. And I need to expect my, to allow and respect my partners to do the same for their own emotions. And once we both understand our emotional reactions, then come together and find a compromise because I can't, I don't think it's right. I should say it's not ethical for me to say, I don't like that you are having unprotected sex with another partner who possibly could have an STI. You need to wear condoms for my safety. Mm-hmm. Really? Like you need to wear condoms with them for my safety. Right. Right. That right. would be, that would be me right. not respecting Corey's autonomy. Mm-hmm. That would be me meddling in his relationship. That would be me expecting him to make my emotions better. Yeah. But the ethical thing should be I'm not comfortable with what you're doing in another relationship. So for my safety, I want to use condoms when you and I have sex. Yeah. Or whatever your whatever you decide is your comfort boundary. Cause it might yeah. even be that we're not going to have sexual contact for a period of time or whatever. Yeah. It is. You know, yeah. Like, it, yeah. So it, it's up to you to decide what your comfort level would be for sure. And then to lay that out for your partner. And so, like you said, taking responsibility for how you're going to protect yourself given the situation versus trying to control somebody else to better protect you necessarily exactly so that's that's another really key aspect of polyamory and non-monogamy for me i obviously Mm -hmm. with some of the other structures of ethical non-monogamy that's not the case like like we talked about one penis policy to me that's a little too much too restricting on my autonomy it's not ethical in my relationships to do that. But I understand that not everybody feels that strongly about autonomy. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and everybody's think, growing differently. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I think, you know, we just we did discuss a little bit last time about this, this idea of, you know, you're you're trying to chart your own path here, there is really no uh, cult- cultural script for any of this. So as you were saying, right. like, you've made all these mistakes in the past, in this journey, because it's all about the learning and unlearning it's you're starting from square one and there's no handbook for this. There's no model yeah. for this. So yeah. trying to figure out as you go and, and having, a, and fortunately both been able to make those mistakes and grow from them, obviously, and mm-hmm. not let it um, too, too much damage your relationship. Um, yeah, for sure. Where I'm sure there are a lot of people who make those mistakes. And then like, I, I'm, I'm confident people make those mistakes and they just go, yeah, this isn't for us <laughs> because they don't see the opportunity to grow from that and move forward. 
Absolutely. Um, I think that happens more often than not behind closed doors. So I don't mm-hmm. think it's as out there and represented as much. Um, but I can quickly just sketch out an example. Um, my, well, maybe that's not a great example. I was going to talk about how my parents had friends that they met on a cruise. So my parents went on a cruise sometime back in the 90s and they met two other couples that were from Southern Ontario and everybody became friends. And I believe um, two of the other, like two of the other two other couples, Mm -hmm. they started swinging or wife swapping maybe or some kind of non-monogamy thing. And then feelings became involved between some of the like cross relationships and it ruined both marriages. Mm-hmm. And now, and now like the two of the people that came from separate marriages are happily together. So there's like, they're serial monogamists yeah. still yeah. in that sense. Mm-hmm. But it gave my parents the view that non-monogamy as a relationship structure is it's non-functional failure yeah it's not something that you can sustain long term just because they witnessed it interfere and arguably ruin two people's relations or two couples marriages right which I can understand and there's probably a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of drama and all that kind of stuff too but yeah well I mean, I, I have friends too. I have one friend in particular who I brought up ethical non-monogamy with at some point, And he, he, you know, he said to me, oh, it's not possible to do that. I've seen every couple I've seen attempts to do this has, it's failed and it's fallen apart and it's just been destructive. And I'm thinking like, yeah, I get it. I get why it, it could be destructive to people because if you go into it lightly, if you go into it thinking that you're, it's just going to be about sex and you don't even consider that there might be feelings attached to something you know, like people, maybe it's just a naive sort of thing. Um, and then again, not allowing those experiences to help you grow through them. I could see it being very hard on people and it, we don't have the the cultural narrative to support it. So you just have to do it and figure it out from there. <laughs> Absolutely. Fortunately, that is changing. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of, a lot more resources out there for non-monogamous people that are looking to research it before embracing it because I think it is very important to know what you're getting into I like to say that polyamory is high risk high reward Mm -hmm. it's high risk in the sense of you're involving more people in an intimate aspect of your relationship and of your life and not everybody is going to get along and it's going to be tough and there's going to be complicated decisions because anytime you bring together more people into a decision about like what you do with your life there's more opinions right and it, it takes longer to sort through it t- it requires better communication and there can be a lot of hurt feelings and you have to be able to to navigate those waters so it's high risk in that sense and yes sometimes that means breakups sometimes that means somebody will leave you and that might be that will be hard but it's also so like such high reward for me that it's worth it. All the other mm-hmm. navigation, all the other turbulence, because honestly, living the way that I do with two partners, having three parents in the household with two kids and knowing that I can rely on 
my other partner, Deanna, and also my partner's other partners that I know and I'm comfortable with. Like I have a network of parents Mm -hmm. and it's so great. And it's so nice to be around everybody at once. Like when we all get together and have dinner, we're all in our like social bubbles. Like we're all part of our own social bubble with the pandemic. And um, it's just so nice to have everybody together. It's a very chosen family tribe kind of feeling. And Mm -hmm. that's not something that is, that's not something everybody gets in this day and age. It's not like it, I don't know. I think it's, I don't know. It's just really nice. It it sounds lovely. (laughs) It's like a nice little (laughs) tight knit community of people. And so, yeah, the couple of things that come to mind are that, um, first of all, yes, I do see the tides, tides are changing on this because you can start, you start to see so more mainstream conversations about it. You see the resources becoming available, open conversations, And so people are able to do more of the learning through other people's experience versus strictly their own lived experience, which can be very, very challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was thinking of something else too there, and I forget what it was now, but at any rate, it sounds, you know, like, like you said, you, you get this, this connection with people. Oh yeah. So what I was going to say is that's where you were saying like the journey itself is inherently <clears throat> making you a stronger um, person in yourself because a lot of that, a lot of those that relating and that communication and all that stuff comes down to how you come into a relationship or how you come into a community. Um, and so being able to balance all of those relationships simultaneously or work through hurt feelings and work through a breakup or support your partner through a breakup, all that stuff serves to enhance yourself and and do that self-work and so and you have to be doing the self-work uh, in in the background too versus yeah. just working through it in that setting yeah for sure I definitely get from a lot of people when I talk about it comments like I don't know how you do it that sounds exhausting <laughs> or <laughs> that sounds really amazing but it's not for me mm-hmm. or you know, mostly my friends especially friends that have known for a long time and have been with me like through the thick and thin and have been there to support me. Um, Cause don't get me wrong, just because I have multiple relationships doesn't mean everybody I am friends with, I want to date. Like I have mm-hmm. normal, just like platonic friendships that I, I talk <laughs> yeah. about my relationships with them too. Um, but it's easy to see how, when you have so many romantic relationships that you might not have time for friends. And I just want to put out there that that's not true mm-hmm. <laughs> that I do have platonic friendships and I mean COVID makes it hard to see all of them yeah but yeah. it exists and I still talk about my relationships with them like anybody else does um so from them sometimes when I'm talking about what I'm going through they just shake their heads and are like I don't understand how you have the energy for this <laughs> and honestly it's not even about energy like because personal growth and the the interworkings of how people relate to each other is a passion of mine. I've always been really self-reflective. I've always been somebody who, like when you're a teenager and your hormones are like raging and you're Mm -hmm. like snapping at your parent for something that they said, even though whatever they said was completely logical. I can remember one instance when I was like 13 or 14, I had a headache and my mom basically just told me to take Tylenol. And I had this like angry reaction in me where I was like, (laughs) mad at her for suggesting that I take Tylenol and I remember thinking afterwards like what (laughs) so I've always kind of been self-reflective that way on my emotions 
and it's it's something I love it's a labor of love for me so like in every sense so it's not about me I don't know that's why I have the energy to do it maybe I'm not sure and like I said a lot of it comes down to doing the work on yourself if you aren't working on yourself then it becomes harder to have healthy relationships and health, multiple healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. If, if you are doing the work, it becomes a little bit easier on your end. If they are also doing the work, like your other partners are doing work on themselves, then it's a lot easier than people think. I have no energy for dating though, like going on apps and texting mm-hmm. all the time and going out on first dates. Like I just, I have no energy for that part. Um, yeah. There's a term called poly satiated. So I'm out of a point right now um, with Deanna coming into my life and us building a relationship where I am not on the market. I am the poly version of tied down or not <laughs> single. <laughs> I am not on dating apps. I am not interested in making new connections. Dating sounds exhausting. Yeah. But I know a lot of people that are poly and have multiple relationships and are still on dating apps and are still open to meeting new people and making new connections that's not me. So I don't have limitless energy or time. There is a boundary there, right? I'm human. Yeah. Um, And you're also a mother and you have a a small child right now. Yeah. Yeah. Sterling's six months old now. So he's he's getting busy. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's not limitless. And that's kind of one of the other learning curves about polyamory is, and non-monogamy is learning to find your limit that you're comfortable within. At one point, when I was talking about earlier, how uh, at one point I was feeling like I was failing as a coach, I was not a good partner. I felt like I was failing on all these areas of my life. I was dating I was dating Corey, AJ, I had Brie, I was working almost full-time hours. Um, and most of the housework was on me cause I was home during the day. Mm-hmm. And then I was also dating another person and long distance dating a couple. And it, it happened to be competition season for work as well. I had lots of gymnastics competitions to go to and I learned and I wasn't taking time for myself at all. Mm-hmm. Like never, it was just around the clock, go, go, go. And it was exhausting and I was miserable. So I learned through that experience that like where my boundary was, it's just like gambling, know your limit, play within it. (laughs) Just know how there's only so many hours in a day, so many days in a week, like everybody learns and you just learn what you can and cannot, what you want to put your energy into and what is too much and you can't do. Yeah. And I'm not working right now. So right now this is good having three partners and two kids. That's, that's enough for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that thing actually brings me to a question about like time management and, and how you, how you organize your, your time so that you can sort of give yourself to all these different people. Mm-hmm. Like scheduling wise. Yeah. Yeah. That's another question I get quite often is just mm-hmm. the logistics of it. Like how do you organize to spend enough time with each partner And that can be different depending on the type of relationship you have with each one. For myself, I identify as demisexual, which means if I don't have a strong emotional love connection with somebody, I'm not interested in sex, which means for 
me to maintain that level of emotional connection, I need to see them fairly often. I need them to be um, like being local is really helpful. I don't tend to date long distance. It didn't work out with that couple because of that and other reasons, but definitely the distance was a big factor. Um, and so having people that are local and close to my house is really nice and living even better living <laughs> with partners is really nice. Um, being able to spend time with my kids and my partners helps with that. Um, I'm trying to remember where I was going with this. <laughs> oh, structuring our time together. So yeah. So for me to maintain enough of emotional connection with each partner to feel that loving, um, that loving finding maybe mm -hmm. that loving connection to, to feel sexually driven and want to have that as part of the relationship is really important. And to that end, I ended up creating Google Calendar, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is also really helpful on the household aspect with so many people involved and kids involved. I think it's pretty common that families have a shared calendar where everybody puts their their appointments and their work hours and whatever into it. And it's a lot like that. And it does function as that for us in the household as well. But on top of that, we also schedule our dates. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the default for the house is that every other night I spend with either AJ or on the alternate, I spend with Corey. And then I have my self dates that I schedule every, I schedule every third day, but just for simplicity so that I, if I don't schedule my self dates, I don't do it. So mm -hmm. I need to have it in the calendar. I need to have that night set aside. Yep. And yeah. the way it works for AJ and Corey and I is that we have our nights that we spend that I spend with each of them. So I, let's say this week, I see, I'll be with AJ on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. So four nights this week, I'll spend with AJ. And then he schedules his dates with other partners on the other nights that he's not with me. Right. And it just right. works out really nice that way. And then same with Corey. And then, um, like I said, in between there, I have my, my self dates every third night. And then I usually schedule um, some time with Deanna Lately, I've been trying to fit it onto one of my self-dates. So typically in a week, I'll have two self-dates and one date night with Deanna. And that works out for her. That works out for me. She's married. She has a husband and he's dating another couple. And she also is really into personal growth and requires a lot of alone time as an introvert on her own. So it works for her. It works for Corey because he's also very introverted and likes a lot of alone time. He's not dating anybody currently, so he gets lots of alone time. I mean, so far it just works out for everybody. And it's not to say that our schedule is set in stone. It's just that that's like our default. Like if nothing's going on, nobody has a special event or something that they really want to go and do and can only do on this night or whatever. That's just kind of where I sleep. Yeah. It's just, just what the default is. Yeah. Um, when it comes up to like birthdays and stuff, because I've had that question a lot. How do you, how do you celebrate a partner's birthday? especially in our structure where each relationship is different, like separate from the others. And it's not a, like a, a shared relationship, like a triad. Um, over the years, AJ and Corey and I, cause we've been together, like all three of us have been together, I guess for five years. So Corey and I have been together five and a half years. AJ and I have been together much longer. 
But over those five years that Corey's been in our a part of our lives, we've all just become really relaxed about birthdays and things like that. So if it's AJ's birthday and it's not our night on his birthday, I'm okay with that because I will celebrate it with him the night before or the night after. I don't have to celebrate his birthday on his birthday. Him being my husband doesn't mean that I'm going to reject my date night with Corey to do something with AJ. And then that allows AJ the opportunity to spend it with another partner who maybe can make a different day work. And we're just a little bit more flexible that way. Initially though, we were pretty, pretty rigid in it and we would swap dates like date nights. So if I wanted to spend AJ's birthday with him on his birthday and it wasn't our date night, I would flip nights with Corey. Yeah. And that way, which worked for us in the past too, but it's just, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not worth going in and changing the calendar. That's what it came down to. <laughs> Too much work to try and reschedule often that we just, it's fine. Yeah. Like I'll just celebrate your birthday with you the next night or yeah. whatever. Or if there's a night where it's mine and Corey's date night, according to the calendar, but his friend is having a bachelor party or his friend, he wants to go to a concert or something like, okay, just go. I'll have an extra self date night. Like that's totally fine. Yeah. 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 It's nice yeah. to have it's nice to have a plan for me. I'm, I'm very detail oriented and I like structure and I like a plan. And I like to know that I'm getting enough and giving enough attention to each relationship and enough time. Time Quality time is one of my love languages. So that kind of comes into play too. Um, but I'm flexible and I've learned to become flexible. And that's been part of my personal growth journey is just becoming flexible on things like that. Yeah. 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 yeah that's awesome. I mean... It does make sense. Again, it makes it makes sense to be able to, you know, like you said, have a plan, have a, an idea in your mind of how things are going to go, but not be married to it. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> Such yeah. a funny turn of phrase. I know. <laughs> and it becomes like it's nice because it's one less decision to make every day. Like I'm sure you yeah. can relate as a mom and like a career-minded person, and you have a lot on your plate. And it's just nice to like know where I'm sleeping. I don't have to decide. I don't have to pick between partners where I'm going to sleep. I can just, I know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's an expectation that's already laid out for everyone. There's there's a lot less opportunity for people to be hurt or feel rejected or whatever, because the decision is, is almost like non, non non-partisan. Like you're, you're just like, yeah, this is what's happening. Yep. The calendar has spoken. (laughs) (laughs) um, it actually reminds me of another um, aspect that I've really like another life skill I would say that I've developed over my polyamorous and personal growth journey um, which is the the benefits of compartmentalization Mm -hmm. so understanding that just because AJ and I are going through something in our relationship and we're struggling again I used AJ I don't know (laughs) Um, you've been with him the longest so I think yeah it's kind of a holdover from the length and we've been through a a little bit more just over those years Mm -hmm. um so if he and I are struggling with something but it's not like but it's my night with Corey or Corey or AJ has a a night planned with another partner like an exciting date like I'm okay with putting whatever we're dealing with on like the back burner or like sometimes we say we'll just put a pin in it and it's like it's on a on a cork board like it's just there but we don't need to address it right now so then we can go and be happy with our other partners still we don't carry whatever emotional baggage that we're working through together we don't carry that over into our other date nights 
Yeah. And that's been, that was a learning curve because again, in monogamous culture, I remember feeling like we have an issue. We need to solve it now. Like if we don't solve this now, our relationship might be in danger. I remember feeling like it puts you into crisis mode or like survival mode, right? Like you have all that that fight or flight response. And it was always for me, fight, like fight for our relationship. We are not agreeing on this. We need to hammer it out now. Now I'm just like, you know what? This sucks, but we can put a pin in it and talk about it later. And I think parenting has also helped me develop that skill because there are conversations and emotional conversations I don't want to have in front of a two-year-old or a four-year-old or a five-year-old. Let's just focus on parenting. And again, we've always been really... Um, really good about compartmentalization with our kids too that way. Like I could be miserable with one of my partners over whatever we're going through, but still be able to be a parenting unit without, without snarking at each other or like, yeah, like taking shots at each other without helping each other through the parenting part of our day. Like we're still able to yeah function health in a healthy way for the kids and then we will use our date time our next available time to deal with whatever issue and granted there are times where it is more urgent like there will be scenarios where we need to actually figure this out tonight and it's like like one time Corey was super unhappy with living here and there were just things that weren't accommodating his needs and he wasn't being very upfront about them so he was like suffering in silence kind of thing you know how suffering in silence can just like boil up inside of you and eventually you have like this big blowout so that was more like an urgent thing like he let it get to that point and we needed to talk about it but it was maybe my night with AJ and we're open to one of us just saying like hey like Corey really needs me right now do you mind if I just go with him tonight and then if AJ and I are in a good place and there's nothing really pressing, then it's like, sure. Okay. No problem. Yeah. And then that's okay. fine too. And it's nice to have that, that flexibility again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the com- compartmentalization thing is so important. And I feel like that's something that we are not good at <laughs> at this point, but it's so true about like, you know, trying to like, we're working on it. Um, like we're always trying to work towards that because it's so hard when you do have those those high emotions and a certain time and like your kids are there and you're trying to, to, to muddle through whatever the, whatever you're getting through with them without uh, being petty or whatever towards your partner and stuff, because it's, it's not really great modeling for your kids to see you treat your partner yeah. that way. Um, yeah. So yeah, that is something your that- kids won't see why they don't understand internally what's going on between the two of you. It's not fair for them to think that that's a healthy relationship. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, maybe they're too young to really get a good look at what is going on between the two of you. Yeah. It's tricky. I always had this idea that I would involve Brie in our parenting decisions and like our family talks and stuff like that. And I still hold that, but she's still too young. Like she's just, yeah. she just needs yeah. more time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely yes. have to give a shout out to my mom and to also my gymnastics upbringing because compartmentalization of your emotions were things that were instilled by my mom and through gymnastics training. And I, we talk about all the time as coaches with our athletes, like if you are at competition and it's like, it's the big day that you've been working towards and you fall on one event, like you take a nasty spill on bars and you score really low, it's okay to feel upset 
but you have to let that stay at that event because you're rotating to floor next and it's a different set of judges and the emotional reaction and emotional like outward presentation that you bring to floor is going to influence your score on floor. So you can either be miserable and upset and crying when you go to compete on floor and then probably not do so well, or you can leave that emotional reaction about bars at bars and come to floor and perform your best. Right. And then, and then you can feel and cry and do all the rest of it, all the other emotional reflection later. Yeah. And I think that that is, that's an important skill to have as a gymnast and it's, yeah been a lifestyle for me and it's coming really handy in polyamory (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah that makes total sense like you said if you don't if you can't devote time necessarily to that person immediately um yeah it's okay to know that you can come back to it and and I mean I'm learning that with Nick even just in the sense that he processes things a little bit slower than I do so for years I would be the one who would push and push and push to deal with something right now. Guilty. I'm the same. Yeah. Like like what are you doing? Let's talk. Come on. Let's get and so it was almost like bullying him into talking yeah. about something. I've done and that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he'd be so quiet and so it's been over the last couple of years that I've started to realize like he just needs to have some space, some time to process and think about what it is that's going on if he needs to go sit in another room and like cool off or whatever right but just yeah understanding that yes like you said like you you're not you don't have to deal with this immediately it's not super urgent it's probably better for both of you to just take that space and really and and because the thing is like your your emotions that you're feeling in that moment are going to cloud the way that you're going to communicate with that person absolutely yeah so yeah if you take the time to really uh work through those emotions individually and come back to when you're both feeling reasonable in your in your emotional range and and your ability to communicate then you're probably going to have a a better absolutely (laughs) i used to um I used to, when I was feeling like those kinds of overwhelming emotions and I would want to like be, like you said, like almost badgering your partner Mm -hmm. into let's talk about this now. And anytime my partner was being sensible and like, I'm not saying I'm not comfortable talking about this now Mm -hmm. and I wasn't able to, I would go and write a letter to them Mm -hmm. and never give them the letter, but I would write all those feelings out and then sleep because then I could finally sleep. The thoughts weren't like swirling in my head. Yeah. And then when I go back and read the letter, I would start deleting all the things that don't apply or that were unreasonable and don't, won't be helpful to move forward. And then you're just left with the important stuff, the stuff that actually matters. And my favorite, um, my favorite proverb that I think should be done away with at weddings, you know how sometimes at a wedding, there'll be like a jar or some other station where you can offer bits of advice, or sometimes it's in a speech. I've heard it a lot in a speech. The idea that you should never go to bed angry. Right. I feel like that idea sets you up to communicate when you're angry and miscommunicate and spiral off into ineffective communication and not problem solving at all. Right. Whereas if you go to bed angry or set yourself aside and like work through your emotions, like you were saying, and come back in a neutral state of mind or like a more peaceful state of mind it's better like it's okay to go to bed angry it's okay to go to bed sad it's okay to go to bed happy it's okay go to bed and then reconvene when you're both clear-headed yeah I 
that pressure to just like solve it before we go to bed. Yeah. I don't think is healthy. And I agree with you. Actually, I've never thought about that, but it's true because even when it comes to my kids and helping them develop their emotional range, my approach is always to allow them the space to feel their feelings and work through them on their own. It's not my job to make you feel better. It's not my job to fix this feeling for you. I can support you and I can be supportive for you through it, but I'm not going to make it better. Um, yeah. And so similarly, yeah, like if you just need to feel stuff for a bit, there should be no pressure to work through it and get it done faster so that you can rest peacefully or whatever, you know, the idea is. Um, yeah. But yes, I love your idea of, of writing a letter and then or just writing out, you know, how you feel in that moment so that you can get it out of your head and then return to it later and see where if you had said this, because this is essentially what you're what you would have been saying to your partner if you'd had the opportunity. Yeah. And yeah. you can see, you're like, oh, that would have hurt them. That would have like led to something else. Like, yeah. You know, start to pick up. Or even I've also done instead of a letter, because sometimes when sometimes when I have something that I'm personally struggling with and I need to communicate why I'm my mood is off with my partners, but it feels it's not the same. Like I can't just vent my feelings into a letter. Like that structure doesn't really work. Because a lot of times all the feelings like circle back to different reasons and it's very convoluted. And I've done, I forget what they're called. They're like word maps, I yeah, guess, or like yeah. where you have a, a central like bubble and then you you have branching off different topics and then they like, you draw lines and it's like a map or like a web of your feelings. Yes. And I find that really helpful. And sometimes I'll refer to that when I'm trying to explain why I've been miserable lately to a partner mm-hmm. and then they can I can like show them and be like so this goes to here and then this influences this in me and like it helps yeah. keep yeah. things a little more organized without being forced to be linear yeah which a letter yeah. makes you more linear but I definitely still I still write out my feelings if mm-hmm. I can't sleep at night because something's bothering me I will still write out my feelings yeah I do that too actually but I mostly do it when I look at comments on social media and I want to respond to them and I know that like responding to somebody especially someone that I don't know or even someone I do know where I'm going to give them like a heated sort of um strong opinion about something it's rarely ever going to work out <laughs> positively yeah. so I, yeah. do that. I do that mostly in that instance where I'm like all right I gotta type this out here and then I can go back and be like well none of that is going to help anything so I want yeah but and I, I think, think that's a pretty common thing too, especially with social media and texting, like that idea, that meme or like joke where you're just, you write out this big long message and then you're like editing it for yes. typos and you're like, none okay. of this matters. And you just backspace it all and don't say anything. Yes. Or you say, it's okay. Better. Yeah. Okay. Or like the emoji that's like the circle, like the okay symbol. Yeah, it's like, okay. Got it. <laughs> yes. Exactly. But yes, I think that's a fantastic piece of, uh, a fantastic tool though, the the web thing, especially because like you said, you're not beholden to being on a linear um, sort of idea train, right? Like you can, yeah. you can get things out in a bit more of, even if it's scattered, you can, you can draw it back in and make sense of it later. Exactly. Yeah. yeah that's for a sure. really, yeah, that's awesome. I think that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, like with some of the, some of the other questions that I sort of had about this stuff was, you know, like how did polyamory come into your life? Like how did you sort of figure out that you were, you were going to go on this journey? Right. Um, last time when we talked about this, I kind of, I gave it a, I think I 
talked a lot longer than maybe I needed to. So I'll try and sum it up a little bit more succinctly this time. Um, So it's kind of always been, I've always been predisposed to it. I feel like on a personal level. So growing up as a kid, like I never really understood the whole finding your soulmate idea. I didn't understand. That didn't make sense to me. I was very logical as a child (laughs) about my emotions and about relationships but I knew that I wanted somebody that I could have a long-term relationship with, even if it wasn't for life. Um, And I also was open to like bisexuality at a young age, Um, more like in an abstract concept. Cause I hadn't, I wasn't crushing on girls when I was like 12 or 13 or whatever age, but I was, I understood that conceptually that should be possible, that should be allowed, that should be welcomed. And that if I ever felt that way about someone who wasn't a man, that I would pursue that and I would probably enjoy that. Um, So I kind of already had different ideas maybe than what was expected of me at that time. And then fast forward a few years and I kind of like dated one or two guys, but ended up not really enjoying the experience. Um, And then AJ and I met in high school and it was like, I was head over heels for him so fast. Uh, He was my first sexual partner. Um, I think I was his second sexual partner. So then all that comes into play too, right? It's very exciting and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it became very clear to us early on that we meshed in a way that was rare, that we, we could potentially, like we had a good shot at being a long-term, like a lifetime partnership. So then knowing that, knowing that I felt that way and then finding out that he felt the same way, I started thinking about the future, I guess. So like we set down boundaries about how we talk to each other. We set out at the start, once we realized we wanted to be like serious and try and make it long-term, we're like, okay, when we have arguments, because we're going to have arguments, it's silly to think that you're not going to, Mm -hmm. there's no name calling. Like we had rules like that which most teenagers I, yeah. I've learned yeah. aren't thinking yeah, about. That's a very mature way to go into a relationship at that age, even at any age, really. Yeah. So like we set out these, again, it was like intentional monogamy without mm-hmm. really labeling it that way. It was like, this is how I intend our relationship to be. So we set out these boundaries that we were comfortable with. And one of the questions AJ had was, um, you've only ever had sex with me. What do we do when you are attracted to somebody else? And that was kind of the first time I was like, what do you mean attracted to somebody else? Like, how is that even a thing? And him and all of his experience of like two (laughs) sexual partners (laughs) was like, um, just wanted to know that whether what we would do if I was ever attracted to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I kind of turned it around on him at the time too. I was like, well, like you easily could too. Like if it's, if it's something that could happen to me, it could happen to you. Mm-hmm. We could be attracted to other people throughout our lives. That's reasonable to expect. Um, we just kind of left it at, oh no, we talked a little bit about what we knew of non-monogamy at the time, which was basically just swinging. Mm-hmm. That's all we had have ever heard of. But we also knew about ourselves and each other that we weren't casual sex kind of people. Um, without labeling it, I already identified as demisexual and he did to a certain level as well. And we knew that we would want to have sex with somebody we were romantically connected to. And that's where, that was like our stopping point. We were like, well, like, what are we going to 
find someone that we can just have a relationship with and then like a triad basically without knowing the words we're like a three-way relationship like people don't do that that's not a thing so we just kind of left it we put a pin in it and just kind of left it okay like if it ever comes up that you or I are attracted and start connecting with somebody else we'll talk about it then and it didn't really happen and we for a long time not in not in any like way that we would pursue I guess but then after being together monogamously for a while and I started to realize like I'm actually really curious about being with a woman we started talking about okay like how do we go about maybe having a sexual experience with a woman um and we we talked about dating dating about um having experiences with a woman together as most like the threesome idea right Mm -hmm. I think that's a fairly common thing in monogamous culture and um, relationships yeah and we went so far as to reach out to somebody and then it just didn't it didn't follow through which was fine but that would have been I was still in university I think at the time or just out of university so we were married by this point and um And then we kind of left it for a little while and we started to have some disconnect in our sex life. Like we were just asynchronous a lot of the time where like I would really want to, but he wouldn't want to have sex or vice versa or I, my libido was higher and I wanted it more often than maybe he was willing to give. And so we started to have that tension where he can't supply, he can't be everything I need in this area. So we started talking about non-monogamy again. And at the time I was reading a series of books that um, had a strong female lead and she was non-monogamous, but struggling with it. She was raised Catholic, I think in her childhood, but she was in love with two different partners. And it was also like a supernatural drama, which was super fun. So it was like (laughs) vampires and werewolves and all that stuff and magic. Um, And so I was reading this series of books, watching this woman explore that about herself and with her partners and all the different types of like, all the different types of relationships, like romantic ones, cohabitating ones, sexual ones, casual sex, even like all kinds of stuff. There was a lot of kink in there too, which we can talk about later if you want. Mm -hmm. Um, But then the author that I followed on Twitter came out publicly as polyamorous. And I read that tweet and I thought, polyamorous I I'm a bit of a word nerd so I kind of knew that polyamory meant multiple love so I googled it and then I all this information came out I learned so much so fast and then I started talking to AJ again about it about non-monogamy and I said polyamory like this is what we were talking about back when we were 18 and we wanted a relationship with another person it was polyamory we just didn't have the word and it's a thing like I was so excited (laughs) So then um, we talked a lot about it. We set out ground rules. Like we wrote out again, just like when we did, when we first started dating, we started talking about what we're comfortable with at this point, what not, what we're not comfortable with, how to go about things. And I started talking to and started seeing a guy that I'd had a crush on in high school and never pursued anything with, which kind of went down in flames a little bit. He was just, I realized early on that he was in it just for the sex and he was a little bit emotionally manipulative which obviously wasn't my jam. And during that, that phase, we were already moving to London. Um, so this was like 2011, 2012. And by the time that I was living in London, I had ended things with this other guy and it was just over. 
And then we were in a new city and we had new roots to put down and we wanted to settle in before exploring non-monogamy again. And then a little bit later, um, AJ was working nights and going to school during the day. So we didn't spend a lot of time together. I was working two jobs, but I still had more time. And so once we kind of had settled into a new life and things were kind of good, and again, my needs weren't being met in terms of our relationship. So I approached him again and said, what do you think about me going on some dating apps now? And that was my first experience on dating apps. And it was an eye opener. (laughs) (laughs) I still think dating apps are so strange. I found myself fortunate to have never had to try one. (laughs) It's very strange. I remember being so nervous to meet someone I'd met online. Yeah. When the internet first came out and everybody was rightfully suspicious of who my kid is talking to online. Like I remember my mom just instilling me in this fear. And then I'm in this dating world where it's fine. Like mm-hmm. it's expected and it's safe and it's, yes. well, it should be safe, I guess. Yes. It's presented as safe. Yes. Yeah. So that was a whole thing. Um, but yeah, I guess I would say that that is the starting point because shortly after I went on dating apps, I started to, date one guy in particular Mike and that was my first new relationship after being married Mm -hmm. yeah and then we'd also one of the things that AJ was feeling really um, insecure about was how my dating Mike or if my dating Mike would change mine and AJ's plans Um, because we had planned to start a family when he was done school and I started dating Mike shortly like shortly before AJ was graduating school and I just like, I just reassured him, like, no, absolutely not. Nothing has changed. Like, I still want to get pregnant with you. I still want our life to plan to still happen. Um, but I'm also really enjoying this relationship with Mike. Yeah, so that was, that would have been 2000 and, nah, no, not nine, um, 2014 when I yeah. started dating yeah. Mike. Yeah, that's, and, and it's funny because like 2014 does not feel like that long ago, but really that's like six years. Yeah. So you've yeah. had, yeah, you've had quite a bit of time since then, even to to continue building yeah. on, on your knowledge yeah. and your experience and um, understanding of of how it works for you. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting um, that you that you've been doing this for so long. <laughs> yeah, or even thinking about it for so long, like yeah. looking back on my ideas of love and romance and relationships even from when I was barely forming them like Mm -hmm. I kind of was always just open to more possibilities and suspicious of that heteronormative agenda and escalator it just didn't sit right with me it didn't make sense it wasn't logical to me so yeah I, I agree and that's one of the reasons I think for myself like why I'm drawn to things like this like even anthropology and stuff too, where we look at things like the naturalness of monogamy and, um, and just these, cause yeah, I'm, I'm similarly like very open about stuff and very, um, you know, curious about how, what other relationships might look like or what other people's lives might look like, um, that go outside of that, that strict rigid norm of life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, it is, it's very, it's, it's cool that you were thinking about that so young. <laughs> and Without that, even really knowing. Yeah. That's the thing that kills me is like, I was so like in the dark about what the possibilities are. And I still was like, I don't, I don't want the heteronormative assu- assumed 
relationship. Mm -hmm. Like I just knew that that was what I didn't want. Right. Yeah. I didn't know what I wanted, but I didn't want that. Yeah. And similarly to find AJ and your partner at that age too, and someone who also thought like you thought, you know, and asking these kinds of questions, because that's probably, well, I mean, you, yeah, you, you would be in a very different place right now if you'd found a partner who thought very much along the lines of the assumed monogamous relationship um, structure and mm-hmm. just sort of, you know, dismissed everything that you felt, right? You, I mean, anyway, so it, it's, it's, it's interesting that you found him so young and that you've been able to work through this stuff. And, yeah. and you know, even the fact that you're saying, you know, like my needs were, were not being met from AJ and, and all this stuff. And so for a lot of people, that would be, that would be that relationship ender. You'd be like, well, you know, you're not, you're not giving me what I want or I'm not getting what I want out of this. So like, see you later. I guess I'll find somebody else. And like, you, yeah. you remove yourself from that person's life versus, well, I'm just going to add in a little bit more here to sort of get my needs. Yeah. yeah. And I remember thinking that too, like when he and I were having issues like synchronizing our libidos and meeting everybody's needs sexually, it didn't bleed into the rest of our marriage, our new marriage. Like we Mm -hmm. were still the best of friends. We still cuddled. We still talked. We still did things. Like everything was good. It was just, we weren't connecting sexually, Mm -hmm. which was at the time was super stressful for me. Like I, I, since I'd started having sex with AJ, like I hadn't stopped. Like it was weird for us, for me to not have sex anymore. And obviously like that's different now. Like it's my libido's changed and hormones and pregnancies and all that stuff. Yeah. But at the time I did feel like it was a crucial part of our relationship that was lacking. Yeah. But because that was the only area of our relationship that had some strain and was struggling, I wasn't ready to divorce after we had just gotten married Mm -hmm. if everything else was so great yeah and I just remember saying to him like I don't want a sexless marriage that's not what I signed on for let's figure this out so that we can still be married and we can like come to terms to agree on something sexually and non-monogamy was had always kind of been in the back of our mind anyways yeah did you find that there was um any kind of a struggle for you because you're a woman and because women are typically not painted as the ones not being sexually satisfied in a relationship? Um, I might've had my own internal struggle about that. Like just about what society had told me was okay for me, but I never had any of that from AJ. Like my partners have never been like that. Mm -hmm. I don't date people who are like that, I Mm -hmm. guess. And that was one of the things I loved about AJ. Like he grew up um, in a house with sisters like I I understand or from my understanding psychologically like that that can heavily influence how a boy is how a boy develops in mm-hmm. terms of his emotions and just connecting with women in general so I never got that stuff from him mm-hmm. if anything he was more he was harder on men than most people are I think yeah, yeah. and even still like he's a pretty strong feminist at this point too yeah. so yeah yeah that's awesome Okay, apologies again for the abrupt end there. Taryn had a waking baby to tend to, so that felt like the natural ending point for us. As I mentioned at the top of this episode, this is part one, and part two will be released in a week today. So make sure that you are subscribed so that you can get access to the episode as soon as it's released. 
I hope that you have enjoyed this episode, and I will see you in the next one.